As you have your Bible, if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 5, we'll be reading cha- uh, verses 22 through 33 as Pastor Chris continues in the series. Why do we get married in the first place is the title and the purpose of marriage. If you need to use the Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 1166, but we'll be reading Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to her himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see she respects her husband. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word on marriage and your guidance and your, your, your wisdom and how we can conduct our, our marriages. Uh, help us to apply your word and uh, be with Pastor Chris as he brings this message from your word and from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Less than three weeks ago, uh, one of my heroes in ministry and a favorite professor of mine from my seminary days went to be with the Lord, Professor Howard G. Hendricks. Now that name probably does not mean much to many of you, yet this man, whose love for the Word of God and ability to train others in how to study it, communicate it, has left an indelible mark on my life in my ministry. And whether you realize it or not, many of you have been marked by this man, not only through my ministry, but through many others he has trained, men like you hear on the radio or the TV, Chuck Swindoll, Tony Evans, Dennis Rainey, Andy Stanley, and a host of others. Now, lest you can think I'm confused in associating myself in the company of those men, Uh, I'm no Chuck Swindoll or Tony Evans, but like these men, I had the privilege of sitting at the feet of Howie Hendricks. And like these men, God used this man, who was known throughout the seminary and by all of his students, over 10,000 of them as the prof, he infected me with a passion for studying God's Word and teaching inductive Bible study methods in the local church, discipling men, and teaching on the Christian home, especially helping couples have the building blocks for a loving and lasting marriage, which is what this series is really all about. So today I stand here as a grateful teacher of God's Word, and I joyfully acknowledge the debt that I owe to Prof. Hendricks, and men he trained, like Dennis Rainey from Family Life Ministries, for the message that I'm about to preach from Ephesians 5, 31 through 33. So to start off this message, 
I'd like to begin with one of my favorite Hendrix quotes. This man was a master communicator, and he could put things in a way that uh, uh, his students have forever quoted him, often forgetting to give him credit over time. And it's one that all of you have been through our premarital and postmarital coaching uh, ministries, prepare or enrich at our church. You've heard me quote it many times, and it's this. Marriage is like flies on the window pane. Those that are inside, one out, and those that are outside, one in. I love that quote. I never get tired of that quote. It is so true. And it's more true today than ever before in our culture. Would you agree? Marriage is now a battleground in our country and in our culture. People are trying to fight their way in while others are trying to fight their way out of this institution. Now, people get married. Well, let me talk a little bit. There's, There's confusion over how marriage is to be defined, and whether marriage is really all that important. There's controversy over marriage, about who should have the right to be married. Is it only for those of uh, male and female, or is it a right that belongs to those of the same sex? There is increasing conflict over marriage, as more people view it as a civil rights issue, and some even see it, some even see it, as on the same level as racial inequality. Right now, right now, there are several cases that the Supreme Court will soon render a decision on that very well may forever change how marriage is defined in our culture and our country. Now, wherever you and I stand on those issues, You know, wherever you are, and I'm sure there's a wide spectrum here, and that's great. We want that in the sense that we're reaching and open to uh, showing people from all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of uh, ways of life and thinking. But wherever you and I stand on those issues, I think we can all agree this morning that there is a radical change taking place regarding marriage. Would you agree? Prof. Hendricks got it right. Like flies on a windowpane, more and more people in marriage want out of it. Whether it's by divorce or by simply wanting nothing to do with marriage, more and more couples are simply not getting married at all. And like flies on the windowpane, more and more people outside of marriage want into it. And so same-sex marriage is being promoted and fought over in the courts, and becoming quite a divisive issue in our culture. Again, quoting my beloved professor, Howard Hendricks, marriage has never been more popular or more perverse. So where does that leave us this morning? Should we just throw our hands up and say, look, all we're just doomed to confusion, controversy, and conflict when it comes to marriage? What does the church have to say about marriage in the midst of this confusion, this conflict, this change? Or maybe more importantly, what does Jesus have to say to his church and to our culture and to his followers about marriage? Well, just like the previous messages that Pastor Bruce has preached in this series, 
uh, about Ephesians 5, he's been talking about love and sex. But you can see this, this series is about love, sex, and marriage. Well, the same thing is going on with marriage as it is with love and sex, and it's this. There's two views of it, basically. You have the culture's view, and you have the Bible's view. You have God's view, the culture and God. Now, I don't have time this morning to go over the culture's view of marriage, except to say this, that it's basically the same as the culture's view of love and sex that we've been learning for the past four weeks, and it's this. It's centered on self and on satisfying self while still looking for a loving and lasting relationship without much thought given to God or what God thinks or requires, or what he provides for a loving and lasting marriage. You can go to glenwoodconnection.org at our website, and you can look under resources, and there you can get the sermons for the last four weeks about the cultural view of love and sex. But what I want to focus on this morning is the biblical purpose for marriage. And I want to really talk to where you might be this morning. Maybe you're here this morning, and you saw your parents go through a very painful and difficult divorce, and you are fearful that you might make the same mistake they did. Or maybe you're here this morning, and you tried marriage once, or twice, or even more than twice, and things have only gone, they, they, they went bad. And you have the scars today to prove it. And so maybe you're asking this morning, why get married anyway? Is marriage worth it? Is that really the route I want to go? It hasn't worked for those who raised me or didn't raise me. And it hasn't worked for me. Maybe there's a better way. Why get married anyway? Or maybe you're here this morning and you're married, whether for a few months or many years, and things have not gone so well. In fact, they've gone from bad to worse. There was a little good there at the very beginning, a lot of bad, and there's been a whole lot of ugly. And you're beginning to rethink why you got married in the first place. You're wondering whether the reasons you got married are strong enough and big enough right now, today, to make your marriage better or even to keep it together for another day. These may be fears that you have in your heart that you've never expressed to anyone but God. You may be sitting by your spouse even right now as we speak. Do not turn. Do not look. And these may be the thoughts in your mind and your heart. And so you're asking, why did we get married in the first place? Why did we get married? You may be losing hope. You may be thinking of giving up. You see, the love, the sex, the feelings you once had for your spouse are just not there anymore. And you're wondering, why did I ever get married to this person? Why did you get married? For sex? For romance? For companionship? for security, to have children. You see, there's good reasons for getting married, and then there's childish ones. I want to share with you some of the childish ones. These come from all boys and girls 10 years or younger. 
and they reveal their humorous and simple perceptions of marriage. Gwen, age nine, when I get married, you'll, you'll hear for a moment this wasn't my wife. When I get married, I want to marry someone who is tall, handsome, rich, and hates spinach as much as me. Now, that's either my wife and she failed in those reasons, or, or it is, I don't know. Arnold, age six. I want to get married, but not right away, because I can't cross the street by myself yet. You know, Arnold's a wise man. First things first. Steve, age 10, I want to marry somebody just like my mother, except I hope she don't make me clean up my room. There's probably some ladies that could identify with that. Bobby, age 9, I don't have to marry someone who's rich, just someone who gets a bigger allowance than me. And then Raymond, age 9, first she has to like pizza, then she has to like cheesecake, after that she has to like fudge candy, then I know our marriage will last forever. I like Raymond. He's got his priorities right there. Well, we laugh at these childish impressions, and yet the reasons why many couples get married in the first place often isn't much more profound. A a person once said, a great purpose makes for a great marriage. Seneca, a Roman philosopher, wrote this, you must know for which harbor you are headed if you are to catch the right wind to take you there. And one of the problems in so many marriages today is that partners have so many and so varied purposes for getting married. The result is the husband and wife sign on for a lifetime voyage with every intent to journey forever together till death do them part. But they set sail for different harbors. It's no wonder that they eventually end up in different ports. They're shipped in two pieces, isolated and alone. But God has good news for you this morning. God has good news for me this morning. Single, single again, married, wish you weren't married, not sure you ever want to get married, God has good news. God is the one who created marriage in the first place, and He's the one who knows the most about it, what it makes it work, and what does not make it work. So, look again at your Bibles. Let's look at Ephesians 5, 31 through 33. And I want you to think about what does, what do G, what does God, Jesus, and Paul all say about marriage? Because we see In verse 31, Paul makes a quote that is first said or found in Genesis 2 that is repeated by Jesus in Matthew 19 and then is said here and taught by Paul in Ephesians. And what's interesting, what what do these all three say about marriage? Because we first need to get a definition of marriage. So we know what we're talking about. Because most of the battle, most of the controversy, most of the conflict is about what is marriage and defining it. Because once you define it, then you know who participates in it, and then you know who created it, and on it goes. So let's look at it. Here's the basic biblical understanding of marriage. Marriage was created by God to be one man and one woman committed to one another for one lifetime, under God, for His purposes. That's marriage. 
for His purposes. Marriage was created by God to be one man and one woman committed to one another for one lifetime under God for His purposes. And after performing the first wedding, who God was the one that performed it, after first creating the bride or the groom and then the bride, he performs the first wedding in Genesis 2, 24 through 25, and here God reveals the definition of marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they weren't ashamed. It was a glorious, open, transparent, full, physical, emotional, spiritual Everything, relationship. Now, you know what happened. Sin entered the picture. The fall came, and the curse came upon man and upon woman, and and marriage, it survived, but it was forever changed. And so we come to the New Testament to Jesus, and after being asked about the permanence of marriage, Jesus returned all the way to the beginning. I find this interesting, that even though all this has happened, all these years had passed, all this sin and distortion, yes, in the Bible, you'll be hard-pressed, you will not find a perfect marriage, even among God's people. And yet, Jesus said, all, in spite of man's sinful, willful unbelief, man and woman, the definition of marriage, it remains. And so Jesus returned to it, and here's what he says when asked about the permanence of marriage. He says in Matthew 19, 4, And Jesus answered them and said, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning? See, Jesus says, if you want to understand marriage, you've got to go back to the one who created it. You've got to go back to Genesis. You've got to go back to the beginning. And at the beginning made them male and female, and he said, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, here we are in Ephesians. Jesus has died, he's risen, he's returned to heaven. We're on this side of the resurrection, and marriage still hasn't changed. After explaining the roles in marriage, with which Zach so graciously read from Ephesians 5, 22 through 30, after explaining those roles of husband and wife, here's what, Jesus, uh, what Paul did. He reaffirmed what both God said in the beginning and Jesus said when he was on earth. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But then he does something in verse 32. This is a great mystery. Not so much marriage, although that's pretty mysterious in itself. But what marriage represents, God's purpose, ultimate purpose for marriage, is what's mysterious, speaking concerning Christ and His church. Nevertheless, don't be freaked out by the mystery. Let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to see. Verse 31, he defines, he returns and reaffirms the definition of marriage that's consistent in the Bible. Then he gives the ultimate purpose for marriage. That's verse 32. The ultimate purpose is to say something about Christ and his church. And then he says, don't get too theological, too abstract, too philosophical. Let's get right back to the practical, verse 33. 
he shows that there is a complementary practice for both the husband and the wife in marriage. Now, here's what I want to answer today. I want to answer the question, why get married in the first place? I want to show you God's seven purposes for marriage. Don't freak out too much. Um, Some of these we will hit very lightly. Why? Because Pastor Bruce, in the last four messages, has hit some of these. And he will expound on one of these in particular in the next two weeks. So for now, I just want to give you that big picture. God's seven purposes for marriage. Why did I ever get married? Why should I ever get married? Why should I stay married? Here's seven reasons. Number one, to magnify Christ and his bride, the church. This is the ultimate purpose for marriage, to magnify Christ and his bride, the church. The ultimate purpose for marriage in God's eyes, in God's word, is this. The ultimate purpose of marriage is a mystery. You say, no one told me this ultimate purpose when I got married. In fact, you know, I didn't get any premarital counseling. I I, I just jumped into it. I I fell into it. I was tricked into it. I don't know. I just, next thing you know, I, 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 I grunted and the guy said, you're married. You know, man and wife, you know, all it takes to get married is a, is a, is a shrug and a ug, you know, and, and uh, I don't know what happened. I didn't know this mystery stuff. Or maybe I was taught that, but it's still a mystery to me. Well, here's the deal. When the Bible says that marriage is a mystery and, and, and uses mystery, it doesn't mean that God's purpose is a puzzle that we're left to figure out on our own. It's a mystery because it's a purpose that only God can reveal and we will never figure out on our own. The mystery is revealed in verse 32. I speak concerning Christ and the church. The ultimate purpose for marriage is to magnify and make much of Christ and His bride, the church. And that's a revelation for our culture. I thought it was about me. I thought it was about me and Him. Or me and her, or two hymns and two hers. I thought it was all about that. No, it's not about that. It's about making much of Christ and his bride, the church. So here's the mystery of marriage revealed. I've got two things I want you to understand. First of all, marriage is an imperfect picture of the perfect marriage between Christ and his bride, the church. Because if I say, hey, the ultimate purpose of your marriage is to point people to Christ and his relationship to the church, we'll all run out of here saying, I, can, I can't live up to that. I can't do that. And here's the good news. You're right. Your marriage is imperfect. My marriage is imperfect. And when people look at me and Gwen, they see an imperfect image of a perfect relationship between Christ and his bride. Now, our goal is to make that marriage as well of a reflection as we can. But please understand that the mystery of marriage, God reveals that two individuals who are prone to sin, who are prone to denying God and and disbelieving God, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, that you in an imperfect relationship can still magnify and make much of Christ in his bride, the church. You see, he intends for our marriage 
to picture the saving relationship between Christ and his church. Now, in the next two weeks, Pastor Bruce is going to lay out what that means for husbands and wives in detail. But we have a short summary of the next two weeks here in verse 33. Now, I did not say you could skip, you know, next two weeks for the summary. I I want to clarify that, Pastor Bruce. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects. Circle that word love for husbands and circle that word respects for wives. You see, like Christ, in this short summary, us husbands are to love our own wives so much that we will sacrificially lead them to a deeper relationship, greater holiness, and her ultimate purpose in Christ. Honey, I want to lead you in love to be all that Christ wanted you to be. And for the wives, like the church, our wives are to respect their own husband and seek to surrender her agenda to accomplish the husband's ultimate purpose in Christ. Honey, I just want to follow you, I want to respect you, and I want to help you to become all that you are and ever meant to be in Christ. You see, in our marriage, if our marriage, if our marriage is fulfilling the ultimate purpose of marriage, then people can look at how I'm lovingly leading my wife Gwen, how she respects and follows my leadership, and they can get an imperfect, can I say again, an imperfect picture of how Christ is a loving leader to his bride, the church, and how the church is a respectful, submitted follower of Christ. Now, we ought to just pause for a moment and say, whoa, that's a mystery. Because it is. It's deep. It's impossible. And only God could come up with something like that. And please understand that only when you know our God will this purpose make sense. Only when you have surrendered to following Jesus will you embrace this ultimate purpose. But like all things of God, he doesn't call us to something that he doesn't first enable us to do. And so in the previous chapter, in the previous lessons, we know we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the redeeming, forgiving, life-changing love and power and person of Christ that can help us to do this. Because the ultimate purpose of marriage is only realized through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's the ultimate purpose. It's a mystery. Your imperfect marriage can reflect, magnify, and make much of Jesus' saving relationship to lost sinners in this world. But please understand that it can only be realized through a relationship with Him. You see, marriage is ultimately meant to magnify what God has done for us in Christ and to help those who don't know Christ to see how Christ loves his people and how his people submit and follow him. The needs that marriage was originally created to fulfill can only be fulfilled in and through Christ. See, what's going on in our culture is people have a God-created, God-given yearning for this kind of relationship with one who is of the opposite sex. And you say, well, what about these same-sex relationships? That's why in those relationships, no matter what gender they are, someone is acting out, struggling to provide that male role and that female role. Why? 
Because it's in our DNA. It's how we were created. And yet we have this yearning and so we fall in love and we follow the world's idea that it's all about love and sex and feelings and we find that one and we grunt in front of the pastor and he says, I do, and we head off and we realize this isn't working. This isn't fulfilling. And even in the best of marriages, you wake up some morning saying, who is this next to me? Who are you? You're not the guy I thought you were. You're not the gal I thought you were. Why is this? Because your relationship to Christ is far far more important than ever getting married. See, I don't want any single, single again person here thinking, oh, the ultimate purpose. I've missed God's ultimate purpose because I've never been married or I'm I'm single again or I I sense that, that I never will be married. No. You've got the best thing going if you'll just embrace Jesus Christ. Because listen, the best of marriages fall short of what Christ can do in and through you. It's a a mere picture. Those of us who are married are just a mere picture to you all who are single to say, look, long for what is the ultimate thing. You haven't missed out on the ultimate God forgive us as preachers who sometimes so glorify marriage, so glorify the family, that we leave singles thinking, I missed it and I'm second rate. You are not second rate if you will just embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and be his bride. Let him be your bridegroom because that's what it's all about. Listen, it's more important than ever getting married. It's more fulfilling than even the best marriage. In fact, a relationship with Christ is the bottom number one requirement to be married. You see, without a growing relationship to Christ, marriage is either hell on earth, an empty deception, or eternal fruitlessness. You see, they, people who do not know Christ, people who reject Christ, people who rebel against Christ can still have a great marriage in their eyes and according to their standards. The problem is we all die and then we face the Lord Jesus Christ and and suddenly that fulfilling life, even fulfilling kids and fulfilling career and great family times and great vacations, it all comes to nothing because it's all burned up because it wasn't done in the power and for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate purpose. All the other purposes flow from this. All the other purposes are fed by this. And all the other purposes will be fruitful when you get this first purpose and get it down. Number two, out of that flows, purpose number two, mirror the image of God in your marriage relationship. We are to mirror the image of God in our relationship. God created men and women to be in relationship together, even whether you're single or not. I mean, that's why we have men and women in our church. We have men and women in in various roles of serving and leading. Men and women are meant to complement, complete, and work together and to mirror the image of God. Listen to Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make man... In our image, according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Then listen to verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created. I didn't see that one coming. 
but God did. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So it's not just male and female. The image of God is reflected in male and female working together, but particularly male and female working together to become one and being fruitful and multiplying. Now, whatever else the image of God is, and it's a lot of things, it's men and women relating to one another in a way that glorifies God, especially through marriage. Just as God the Father. See, he said, let us. Just as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are three in one, so husband and wife are two who become one. One plus one equals one is is bad math, but it makes for a great marriage that mirrors the image of God. Let me be clear, men alone, women alone are made in the image of God. James 3.9 teaches that, but women need Women need men, and men need women. Can I hear a collective amen? Amen. And here's how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 11, 11 through 12. 1 Corinthians 11, 11 through 12. Here's how he puts it. Great verse. Listen to me. Nevertheless, neither is a man independent of a woman. I don't need women. Nor a woman independent of man. I don't need a man. Well, in the Lord... He says, we need one another. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. You hear what he's saying? Look, ladies, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for us. Well, for Adam, because woman came out of man. You need men. But men, don't be arrogant. Don't be prideful. Because your mama brought you into the world. And you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a woman. You see, we need each other. And here's how he ends it. For a a woman came from man, even so man comes through woman, but all things are from God. Listen, when you're rightly related to him, you understand, I value men, and I value women. There's no room for woman abusing, and there's no room for man bashing in the people of God. We need one another, and we need to cooperate, complete, and, and, and just serve one another to reflect God's image. Keep growing in the oneness of your marriage. Don't settle for mediocrity. Work to become two that are one. And when you do, you'll discover purpose number three. Here's purpose number three. As you mirror God's image... It leads to mutually completing one another in your roles. It leads to mutually completing one another in our roles. The purpose for marriage is to make much of Christ in his relationship to the church. It's to mirror the image of God in male and female, and and, and that somehow is a mysterious revelation of what God, the Son, the Father, the Spirit are like. But then we mutually complete one another. Genesis 2.18 one of the most beautiful words, one of the most beautiful scriptures. Genesis 2.18. And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now, the word helper there has bad connotations in our culture. Helper means low and, and a servant, maybe even a slave idea. But please understand, Jesus turned that all upside down when he said the greatest among you is the one who will serve you. 
The greatest is the servant, and Jesus himself became that servant. Helper does not mean a servant or slave, and it certainly doesn't mean to remain barefoot and pregnant. Helper is a beautiful word that is even used of God, therefore it's a praiseworthy role. I will make a companion for him who corresponds to him. I will make him a helper suitable for him. I will make a helper who is just right for him, mutually completing one another. Here's how one uh, scholar put it. In the Bible, God is frequently described as helper. The one who does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The one who meets our needs. In this context, the word seems to express the idea of an indispensable companion. The woman who would supply what the man was lacking in the design of creation. And logically, it would follow that the man would supply what she was lacking. Although it's not fully stated there in that one passage. This is beautiful. And it's a much-needed purpose of marriage. A husband and wife are meant not to compete with one another, but to complete one another. Not to compete and be in conflict with one another, but to complement one another. A man looked up from his hospital bed and said to his wife, You've always been with me when I've had trouble. When I lost my shirt in a poor investment, you were there. When I had the car accident, You were there with me. I got fired and you were there. I've come to the conclusion that you're bad luck. That's not the attitude we're supposed to have. There's a lady that said, My husband and I have a very happy marriage, bragged one woman. There's nothing I wouldn't do for him, and there's nothing that he wouldn't do for me. And that's the way we go through life, doing nothing for each other. That's not God's purpose. That's not God's purpose. Mutually completing one another. Perhaps you saw the uh, original Rocky film before Sylvester Stallone started spinning off sequels left and right. Do you remember the love relationship between Rocky had with Adrian in the first Rocky? She was that little wallflower who worked in the pet shop. She was the sister of Polly, an insensitive goon who worked at the meat house and wanted to be a collector of debts for a loan shark. There's a purpose in life for you. Polly couldn't understand why Rocky was attracted to Adrian. I don't see it, he said. What's the attraction? Do you remember Rocky's reply? I doubt that the script writer had any idea what he was saying, but they perfectly exemplified the principle of mutually completing one another. Here was Rocky's supply. I don't, to, to, what's the attraction? Here's what he said. I don't know. Fill gaps, I guess. What's gaps, Pauly said. She's got gaps. I got gaps. Together, we fill gaps. You never knew Rocky was a theologian, did you? (laughs) That's pretty profound, isn't it? Hey, The purpose for marriage is to fill gaps. My beloved wife fills my gaps. Unless you are too quick to say, yeah, yeah, she does. I fill her gaps too. We both got gaps. And together, according to God's purpose, we fill gaps. That's God's purpose. Men, love your wives. Fill her gaps with love. Ladies, I beg you, 
Show respect to your husbands unconditionally, even when they don't deserve it. And fill the gaps. I taught a series down in my class, and it was called, You're the Man. Be the man. And I said, ladies, you ought to every day just, just say, you're the man. You're the man. Your husband desperately needs to hear from you that he's the man in your life. Or he'll find someone who will say it to him. And men, you need to say to your wives, you're my woman. You're my woman, and there is no other who completes and compliments me like you do. I love you. You're the man. I respect you unconditionally. You're my woman. I love you unconditionally. That's why we get married, and it leads to purpose number four. And let me tell you, It leads to purpose number four. Maintain the joy of sex within God's boundaries. Ladies, men, you mutually complete one another. You affirm that love for that lady, and you affirm that respect for that man, and you will maintain the joy of sex within God's boundaries. I won't say much on this, because we've, we've got the lessons. We've had it. Go back, glenwoodconnection.org. You can see it. But I do want to read one passage from the New Living Translation. It's 1 Corinthians 7, verses 2 through 5, and it makes this clear that one of the purposes for marriage is sexual purity and enjoying the, 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 the joys of sexual intimacy within marriage. But because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. And he makes clear what he means by that. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He's saying the lack of a mutually, mutually, mutually satisfying sexual intimacy in marriage can lead to immorality, adultery, pornography. God is not a killjoy, but he is opposed to what kills joy. And he doesn't want the joy of sexual intimacy to be killed in your marriage. And so God is against sex outside of marriage because it will kill your joy for your future spouse, if God has that for you, or your present spouse, but he's all for sex within marriage. So application, married couples, go for it. Go for it. Mutually satisfying sex life. Now, maybe you're thinking... Great, wonderful, another one I failed at. Many have failed at this purpose, sex within the boundaries of marriage. And not always because it was their choice, though many times it is. But some have been abused. Some have been raped and bear the scars of such abuse. 
Some have been seduced and tricked into something they were too naive or too weak to resist. Does that mean all is lost and there's no hope for your future or present marriage? No, 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 a thousand times no. Remember, the ultimate purpose in marriage is Christ and His saving relationship with His bride. Go to Jesus. He can cleanse us from all sin. He can make the wrongs right. He, can't, he will not and He cannot eliminate all the consequences. There will be wounds. There are scars that may not ever be healed until we see Him face to face. But let me tell you, though your sins are as scarlet, they can be white as snow. You can be clean forgiven, guilt-free, and you can start fresh and anew. Just come to Him for what only He can give. Listen, an active, mutually satisfying sex life between a husband and a wife, as much as, you know, please understand, this is common sense, sanctified common sense. There's illness, there's sickness, there's age. There, there, there's all sorts of factors that God understands because He was a man, He was human. But, So many things that hinder the sexual intimacy in our marriage are really spiritual and they're relational. And until those spiritual and relational things are made right, oh, you may come together physically, but it won't be the joy. There won't be the transparency. There won't be the satisfaction that God has promised to those who put Him first. Well, there's more I could say on that, but it would probably only get me in trouble. So let us move on. Because purpose number four often leads to purpose number five, and it's this. Multiply a godly legacy with your children. Multiply a godly legacy. One of the purposes of marriage is to multiply a godly legacy with children. Now, I'm sure we've all heard the playground song, and I'll use Scott and Laura as our example. Scott and Laura sitting in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love. Come on, say it with me. Then comes marriage. Then comes baby and a baby carriage. Maisie, Eleanor, Dillinger. Now, this is why Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, follows the discussion of marriage. Because naturally and even intentionally by God, marriage often leads to Two children. Listen to Genesis 1, 27 and 28 again. He said, Then God, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. That's purpose number four, accomplishing purpose number five. Okay? And then listen to Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. Here's what Malachi 2.15 says, But he did not make them, but did God not make them one, have, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why did God make couples one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with his wife of his youth. Listen, staying married, staying happily married in Jesus is the best way to raise your children and to raise godly children for Jesus Christ. Now, that immediately raises some concerns. Because here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. A marriage of a man and a wife that are fulfilling God's purposes provides teamwork in raising kids. Women aren't made to raise kids by themselves. Men aren't made to raise kids by themselves. 
It's a team effort. Gender identification. Our kids are so confused over their identity as male and female because so few of them have a male and female role model of their parents in the home. Role modeling. How am I supposed to treat a woman, Dad, when Dad is not there? Or the way Dad treats a woman is abusive and wrong and even deadly. And then experiencing God. We have a whole generation that doesn't know what a father's love is, and yet we point to Father God. Now, my point is this. Our marriages should be spiritual hothouses where people grow up to know Jesus, to love God the Father, and to walk in the Spirit like this series has been teaching. But there's two real concerns there, and here they are. Number one is, we're married, but we don't have any children. We'd love to have children. In fact, we're questioning God, where is our child? I can understand that a little bit. My wife and I prayed and waited for seven years until God finally blessed. But could I put a plug in for adoption right here? Could I put a plug in for that? Because I stand here today as a product of a childless couple who adopted me. The son of an unwed teenager and some teenage man. And I was given a home that was stable, secure, and, and, and steady and protected. And freed to know Jesus, to go to church, and to pursue what God had for me in my life. But maybe adoption's not an option for you. We shouldn't guilt anybody into something like that. That's something God needs to lead you into. But if adoption is not an option you choose to pursue, then realize that every believer can raise up a godly legacy by sharing the gospel with lost people, discipling them, and serving through the ministry of this church. Do you realize Paul was never, probably never married, never had any kids that we know of, and yet he calls Timothy my beloved son, he calls Titus my true son, and he calls all the believers in Galatia my dear children who I am in labor until you are formed and matured in Christ. You can have what is better what is greater, and that is spiritual children in Christ. Your, your concern may be, well, I've got children, but I'm a single parent. Single parents deserve our support and encouragement and all they seek to do to raise their children on their own. Amen? But here's the good news. You're not on your own. You're not on your own. If you are in Christ and a part of a Bible-believing, loving local church like this, You have help in raising those sons, those daughters. You have help. We can supply as the bride what is missing from their mother. We can help supply as followers of Christ what is missing from their dad. Not perfectly, not completely, but it's a beautiful thing. Listen, it is a beautiful thing in this church to see childless couples investing in single-parent kids and being a male role model, being a female role model, and doing what the church does best, being the family of God. Get in a grow group. Get in a small group. Get your child around other men in our discovery hour. Get him around our godly women in our discovery hour. We have child background checks. We do everything that we can to provide a safe and secure 
positive, and, but you've got to bring your kids and let them enjoy it, let them develop. And that leads to managing good stewardship. Purpose number six, manage the resources God has given you. Manage the resources God has given you. You see, God created man and woman to multiply, fill the earth, but they were to rule the earth. They were to have dominion over the earth. They were to be good environmentalists. They were to be managers of God's creation. But before we get all excited about managing creation, let's start being good managers in the church. And before we get too excited about leading and managing the church, let's manage our homes. Amen? Because you see, the proving ground of church leadership is home management. A man and a woman, they can manage their finances, they can manage their home, they can manage their children, they disciple their children, they discipline their children. And in the next two weeks, Pastor Bruce is going to give you the two secrets to being good home managers and managing those God-given resources, both children, physical, material, all of them, spiritual. So come. And that leads me to the seventh purpose and the final purpose, and that's this. Why get married in the first place? To minister to others through your less-than-perfect marriage. Now, I got permission to put, you know, I said, hey, guys, I'd like to use your picture because you really, you really are a model of this. But please understand, you're going to be like our poster children for an imperfect marriage, so I want your permission before you do it. No problem. Because, see, that's how godly people are. Godly people are messed up. And what makes the difference is Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what makes the difference. And I put that up there because it says, What's up with Easter? That was from 2011. 2013, this month, we've got Easter. Listen, folks, we were married not to cocoon, not to isolate in our suburbia, not to isolate in our homes, not to just make a life for our kids. We were made to minister to others through our imperfect marriage. And here's the good news. The more imperfect it is, and you've allowed Christ to help rebuild it, the more you have to teach others, okay? There, we just, listen, listen. Marriages impact God's reputation, What are people seeing as they look at your marriage? Are they turned away because of chauvinism or feminism? Are they turned away because of arrogance and abuse and cockiness? Are they turned away by an independent manner in your marriage? Or are they drawn to Christ because they go, wow, you guys get along, you respect one another, you you mutually complete one another, and you, you actually love him, and, and, and you don't bash him. And you actually love her, you serve her. Marriage is not about you as a couple. It's about you making much of Christ in order to minister to the needs of others. Listen, if you're thinking about getting married and you, and, and you do not think your potential mate is going to help you walk with Christ and instead he's going to hinder you, then run, run as far and as quick as you can. You want to run to a man, run run to a woman who will help you minister through your imperfect marriage to an imperfect world that needs to see a perfect Savior. Man, I can't say it any more than that. So here's my final word. If you oppose your mate, 
in your marriage, remember you're opposing God's purpose. Now, what should I do if I think I married the wrong person? What do I do if you feel like you got married? You're like, man, these seven purposes, I was clueless. I'm still a little clueless. I need help. What do I do? Don't replace the person you are married to. Replace the purpose for which you got married. Do you need a change in your purpose? Well, now's the time to respond. So let's bow our heads. Bow your heads, close your eyes to focus on your response to the Lord Jesus Christ. I've poured my heart out to you this morning. But more importantly, you have got God's revelation of the purposes for marriage. And here's the steps you need to take. The first step is this, is to know Christ who created marriage and will change your heart so you can embrace his purposes. You say, Chris, I don't know Christ like I see others knowing Christ. I'm not sure if I died that I'd go to heaven. I'm not sure that if I died, my sins would be forgiven, and that right now I have a close, intimate relationship with God. How can I do that? Here's how you do that. You admit that you don't have it. You admit that you don't deserve it. You admit that you have sinned and broken God's laws. You've You've rebelled against his purposes, and you have fallen short of his perfection. And then you say, but I want to accept the one who has fulfilled his purposes. I want to accept the one who meets all of his requirements. I want to accept the one who died for my sins, rose from the dead, and can now change my heart. I want to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior this morning. Now, if that's you this morning and you want to receive him, just slip your hand up. Just slip your hand up right now. No one else is looking. Just, I want to pray for you. If you want to have that relationship this morning. Now, if you know him, the next step is to renew your mind with this purpose. Renew this mind, and would you commit this morning, I'm going to pursue these purposes with my mate, or my, I'm going to keep myself pure and preparing for my future mate. I'm going to commit right here, right now, to praying these seven purposes towards my mate, even if she's not saved, even if she's not, or he is not here. I'm going to commit to these purposes this morning. Would you slip your hand up? Just slip your hand up. Just slip your hand up. It's just to do something, to respond and say, Lord, you've touched me this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come. And I pray that you would do a work in sealing these purposes in our hearts. We would pray through them. We would pray through them. And we would commit to them. As Kirk sings, that we, he just sings one verse, that we would commune with you and bring our hopes and our dreams, our hurts, and our sins, we would bring them before you and pray for a stronger, Christ-fulfilling marriage. Praise Kurt Sings.